I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody. Welcome to Talking Simpsons, home of the old greet and toss. I'm your host, sobriety and self-denial fan, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of every episode of The Simpsons ever. Who is here with me today? I'm Henry Gilbert, and I'm rowing backwards. It's a bad idea. And who is on the line? I would like to say that you're about to learn that the two most dangerous words in the English language are Kate Leth. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, there's four most dangerous words. And today's episode is Bart After Dark. Are they talking about the bordello? No, the burlesque house. So just keep your mouth shut. Today's episode aired on November 24th, 1996. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this day in real world history. <gasps> oh my God. Oh boy, Bobby. Disneyland officially ends the Main Street Electrical Parade. Rocco's Modern Life and The Tick air their final episodes. Aww. And Star Trek First Contact debuts number one at the box office. Being a Rocco fan, I can tell you that uh, the last episode was not the last in the production order. The last episode was a Thanksgiving special that was part of the last season, but they held it for the Thanksgiving oh, time of the year. On the twenty yeah. fourth, the last episode was the future episode, which yeah. is where the movie follows up from mm-hmm. the upcoming movie. I love, I love that future episode, and uh, we just did the tick episode of What a Cartoon. You guys should listen to that. Uh, in Star Trek: First Contact, that's interesting timing because uh, Patrick Stewart is officially back as Jean Luc Picard that's in right. an upcoming fa- show. I'm, I mean, I'm all for the idea, but that just kind of reeks of desperation. Not on, not on Picard's part, not no. on uh, Patrick Stewart's part, but on. CBS's part. Like, nobody cares about this new Star Trek. <laughs> well, I've been dying for them to finally return to the next-gen universe. Like, they keep trying to sell me on things that are, like, still in the past. I'm like, I don't know. The Star Trek's the future. Keep going forward in the future. Don't just show me more of the old stuff. So, our special guest today is Kate Leth. Uh, Kate, can you uh, explain who you are in case some of our, our listeners don't know? Yeah, uh, I'm sure lots don't. <laughs> no. uh, my name is Kate Leth. I am, strangely enough, most predominantly known on Twitter these these days. I am a comics writer turned animation writer, uh, although I still do both. You might know some of my books. I wrote Hellcat for Marvel. I wrote Spell on Wheels for Dark Horse. I wrote Power Up and Edward Scissorhands and Fraggle Rock and a whole bunch of kid stuff, a bunch of books for Adventure Time. Then did about two years working at Hasbro, working on a bunch of kid stuff, like My Little Pony Equestria Girls. So if you have any nieces or nephews mm-hmm. out there, I'm very cool. <laughs> and now I'm working at, on a secret project that will be announced Ooh. September 1st. Ooh. So stay tuned for that. That's uh, exciting. Yes. Yeah, all great stuff. Can you describe your uh, relationship with The Simpsons, though? I grew up watching it in syndication, so I didn't really keep it up past teenhood. So when you guys reached out to me about this, I was like, oh, no, no, I haven't seen any episodes that have aired in the last 10 years unless there was some huge particular controversy that I should check in for. Mm -hmm. Or Neil Gaiman was going to be on it because, I mean, (laughs) I was a teen goth. But... Yeah, there these first seasons up until I guess 10 or so, I watched over and over and over and over. And I'm also almost exactly as old as The Simpsons because <laughs> wow. I was born in September of 1988 and uh yeah, pretty close to when <laughs> the show started. You were born so. in the period between the Almond Shorts and the first episode premiere. <laughs> exactly. My mom likes to point that out whenever mm. people are like, "Oh no, it was after the fact." She's like, "Uh, but Tracy Almond." <laughs> that means um, you were blessed. <laughs> It is it is a strange relationship that I have with it because I know 
the beginning so intimately. And I have seen those early episodes a thousand times, but not in years. And watching this one that we're going to talk about was, I think, the first time I watched a single episode of The Simpsons in maybe five years. Wow. Mm. I, I had reached out on Twitter. I, I'm a big fan of your Twitter account and all your stuff. I, uh, but you had been drawing some uh, some comics recently that have really been a big hit on Twitter as well. I, I, why do you do Simpo Friends? I don't know. Um, so I work in this office with this incredible woman, Amalia, who worked on Over the Garden Wall. And she is amazing. And she, we were talking about The Simpsons or something one day, and we got all these legal pads because it was like our third day in the office. And we just had so many supplies. So I just started drawing and I did these doodles of The Simpsons. And she was like, oh, that's so funny because the, the pad is yellow. So you don't huh. have to do anything. It's already there. Huh. It just became the thing I would do during meetings or when I had time to fill. And then she got so into it that if I went two or three days without making one, she'd be like, um, I know you need to do like a next draft of this episode. But if I don't see another Simpo Friends, <laughs> there's going to be an issue. So she has been uh, <laughs> my greatest supporter. And I don't know, people seem to like them. It's just been a fun, very low stakes <laughs> project great. to do because there's nothing involved. I just draw on a piece of paper and take a picture of it. So you were sort of forced into becoming a webcomic artist, but then you ended up enjoying it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's great. I, people keep responding to them. And it's it's the only time I've ever done something uh, ongoing like this that's not, you know, autobiographical or whatever. Mm. And it's great because almost everyone, somebody will be like, oh, this is the best one so far. I'm like, oh, I see why people do this. Um, <laughs> uh, sweet praise. <laughs> yes. Uh, you're also a Canadian. I've, I'm always curious. We've asked other Canadian guests here before. Like, what's, what is, do you think you have a different perspective on The Simpsons as if you were from outside of America as, as opposed to like the, the Americans who watch it? I think so. I think there's certain, I mean, when you're from, Canada, and I'm sure if you've talked to other Canadians, you've heard this, you're exposed to so much American media and American culture that it feels like it's part of your culture. I mean, you're, you're aware of what's going on in American politics and American holidays and, and mm -hmm. all of these kinds of things that like Americans are not in any way aware of Canada in that regard. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. It's like, I mean, you do have a hundred times more people or whatever. So, that you know, it makes sense. But <laughs> There were, yeah, a lot of the very sort of patriotic Americana aspects of the Simpsons nuclear family thing didn't seem so strange because all of our media was like that, even though it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't Degrassi. It wasn't mm -hmm. very reflective of our exact experience. But there's a lot of stuff that's universal. It's a family, mm -hmm. you know. Also, I was curious where a future guest on our show is uh, Matt Burnett, who was a co who is co-creator of uh, Craig of the Creek. You, yeah. uh, you wrote for that show, too, didn't you? I did. I did. It was early on in the planning stages, and they ended up going with, um, it's like board-driven. They weren't sure if they were going to have writers or to have it be board driven like Steven and it is uh board driven although Jeff is the the sort of head writer there and he's amazing um but yeah they brought me in and and they were like if you were going to write an episode what would you do and I was like teen witches yes. <laughs> I just want to write teen witches and so I did the one episode and now they're recurring characters in the show so it was like my only contribution to oh, wow. the Craig of the Creek averse but I got to create these girl witches so it was really fun that is but one yeah, of my they were super super nice and really cool to talk to and we remain uh, acquaintances I think that is one of my favorite episodes of that show by the way oh, it's thanks. great yes I love the show so much it is is so cool and I'm really glad it exists. It is such a sweet show. I when I was watching the episode 
my husband and I knew ahead of time you tweeted out that your episode had aired so I knew it was yours and then when the two girls were on it I was like ooh I bet they're a couple my husband's (laughs) like no I don't think so I was like hey Kate wrote this I think they are and then when they held hands at the end I was like ah see see well it was such an amazing confluence of events because Amber Craig who was one of the storyboard artists on that episode is a very good friend of mine her wife used to work with my boyfriend and she's she also works on Steven Universe and they were on hiatus so she was doing some work for Craig and she got my episode and it was this strange thing where we were like how is this world so small and I was like okay well all I'm asking is just make it as gay as possible she's like already there don't worry about it like cartoon (laughs) network agenda (laughs) well okay so this episode why don't we get into it then the uh This one uh, written by Rich Appel, directed by Dominic Palcino, who would both go on to be like heavyweights at Family Guy. So this is almost like a proto-Family Guy episode of this. Well, what? <laughs> well, not really. Okay, I, mean, I was confused by your description of it. I'm just saying staff-wise. Okay. It is. I think it's real funny that this is a, a fun, sexy episode, but because it's by Oakley Weinstein, it is a very old-timey view on sexuality, and the especially the, the burlesque of it all. Yeah, they have to give um, Bart a libido in this episode, strangely <laughs> enough, and it, it's kind of off-putting to me now. A bit. He's not really a horny kid yeah. <laughs> in the rest of the series. It is It is interesting. It definitely is, is a tonal shift. I think they could have played Bart more horned up, I suppose. he's. I think he he seems to have more of like a child interest, like, oh, these are, bra- these are more exciting bras that I'm used to seeing, as opposed to like, yeah. honk, honk, a wooga. <laughs> Which is kind of nice, honestly. I think the other side would be very family guy. It's still kind of cute. And also he does lose that interest as he becomes more businesslike later Mm -hmm. in the episode when he starts taking on these jobs. This episode appeared as the neo-burlesque movement was really picking up steam in America too, though I don't know if they were aware of that on the production side. But I have actually been to a burlesque show. I actually, with my family on a trip to, uh, by family, I mean my parents and my brother on a trip to Las Vegas of a few years ago, they, my mom was like, it'll be fun if we go to zombie burlesque. <laughs> we, ta- we talked about this. I can't even sit through an R-rated movie with my family and not be just embarrassed beyond belief. Oh my God. The first time I watched Rocky Horror was with my mom. Oh, it was wow. very uncomfortable. My dad came downstairs, took one look at what was on TV and just went back upstairs. <laughs> He's much he, like Grandpa Simpson. Yeah, the grandpa. Yes. <laughs> the, nah, the zombie burlesque show was, was fun and all. It was a horror-themed thing but it was basically what you expect from burlesque there were sketches there were dance performances they also and pasties were on it was not like a full nude burlesque they also did have it both ways in that they had female performers and male performers and also a uh, a gay male performer though his his character was so camp that it verged on homophobic they were really (laughs) walking a a tightrope with him and I want to chalk that up to them just having to play it both ways for the tourist audience they could expect in Vegas. It it was mostly a gay positive show, I will say, but it it was fun. Like there's if you're looking for a fun burlesque show to see with your mom in Vegas, zombie burlesque, <laughs> you could do worse. I bought my tickets already. <laughs> anybody... I have a oh, pretty yes. extensive history with 
burlesque and not oh. not as a performer but as a person who was very close to and adjacent to the world of it for a while and I've seen a ton of burlesque in my life uh, whether intentionally or accidentally so this was really fun and I was excited to talk about this yeah. episode in particular yeah I kind of wish we got to see a little more of the interior lives of any of the other performers there uh, yeah. or, uh, it, we barely get to know Belle's life honestly yeah, it's I think it's a sex positive portrayal of burlesque in this episode though yeah Marge it's is the not too bad yeah Marge is the bad guy in this episode yeah. yep burlesque is more fun well, I mean as, as a gay guy I'm not in it for sexual reasons but <laughs> so burlesque shows are fun for me in just a performance aspect and also like the very broad kind of uh, silliness of it I, I enjoy too it's really fun and I've been to a lot of different kinds of things I've been to burlesque that definitely leans more towards like the stripping side of it um, there is an amazing bar if you have ever been to it in LA called Jumbo's Clown Room mm. which sounds like a nightmare but is actually <laughs> a really amazing queer positive stripping slash burlesque bar mm. and I love it so much. The dancers are all really, really fun and they get very excited when there are queer women because we tip really well. <laughs> and <laughs> and then I've also been to, you know, that sort of like high production, very, very vintage inspired, you know, big fan dancing kind of stuff, burlesque shows as well. It's it's just a fun time. Yeah, Macarena actually mentions Jumbo's Clown Room on the commentary oh, really? for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I had some friends take me there last year. I think we were actually celebrating the end of Hellcat. I think Brittany and I went Aww. and uh, we had an amazing time. There were one of the dancers came over and talked to me about how we had the same necklace from Hot Topic on. <laughs> it was a great night. I miss Hellcat. I love that book so much. <laughs> uh, me too. Yes. Me too. No. It, was, it was a very fun time. Well, so the opening gag on this, uh, well, the couch gag was actually ripped off for the yellow album that The Simpsons put out. I prefer this oh, idea wow. as a 10 second couch gag. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When the, and it was shocking. When I looked at the Yellow Album next to the screen gag, I was like, you just redrew like 30% of this and called it different enough. Hey, it's clever. <laughs> yeah. Homer even turns around. <laughs> and uh, we get a cute little V-chip opening, which this really takes me back to when the fear was like, if we put these V-chips in TVs, it'll censor things for people. Or That was yeah. the first moment where I really felt that the show was dated. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's 30 seconds in. It's the first note that I took on my <laughs> what's a v-chip oh yeah i remember yeah there was a lot of hysteria because i think people didn't understand what it did and what it was and who controlled it really it's ultimately a parental lock that good old slick willie said uh, we have to put in all the tvs made after 1999 i believe so mm. any tv made after a certain date has a way to lock out uh, content of your choosing i guess based on the tv rating scale mm -hmm. wow. but um there was the hysteria like this is going to be the government censoring shows but it wasn't and this is an entire plot point in the south Park movie. The V-chip oh, was what shocked right. the characters when they would swear. And yeah. that's how oh, right. Cartman does like a Kamehameha that. at the end of the movie. <laughs> so yeah, they, everybody got it wrong. And the joke is Homer uh, turns the show back on, even though he yeah. presumably is the one who locked out Itchy and Scratchy. And I mean, it's a great uh, thematic setup for the episode. Oh yeah, Homer yeah. lets the Bart do whatever he wants, mm -hmm. see whatever. Mm -hmm. I he, this V chip also seems so quaint now because, like, I don't know, the internet will let a children see oh, yeah. so many horrible things before they are ready to see them. Oh yes, and yeah. the Itchy and Scratchy cartoon is really one of the first send ups of this.
this era of trashy daytime TV. It was either Maury Povich or Jerry Springer they were really uh, doing observational humor about in terms of people backstage coming out to fight mm-hmm. um, unexpectedly. And unsurprisingly, Jerry Springer will be on The Simpsons in two years after yeah. this episode airs. After all that itchy and scratchy fun, we've got some bad news. Mm-hmm. We interrupt this cartoon for a special report. <gasps> Someone found my keys. Kent Brockman at the Action News Desk. A massive tanker has run aground on the central coastline, spilling millions of gallons of oil on Baby Seal Beach. Oh, no. (laughs) It'll be okay, honey. There's lots more oil where that came from. Preliminary reports indicated the ship's captain was drunk at the helm. Those reports were later confirmed. I'm in a lot of trouble now. Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks to take the blame. A cleanup effort is already underway, and as always, the first to pitch in are those unsung heroes, (laughs) Hollywood movie stars. (laughs) This isn't about publicity. This is about cleaning off gunk. As a Golden Globe nominee, I just think it's our duty to make the real globe a little more golden. So this is a big parody of the Exxon Valdez oil spill, and Henry actually DM'd me and he said, don't do any research, I did it all. So Henry... (laughs) You have to educate uh, us on this. I, I only know the bare facts because this happened in, what, 89? March of 89. And yep. every kid's cartoon and TV show and whatever, uh, Mad Magazine, there were so many jokes about oil spills because of this. And they've only gotten worse. Oh, yeah. By the way, folks, don't look up any information on uh, Exxon Valdez unless you want to see lots of pictures of dead animals. Oof, like it's, no it's, it's a bit of a yeah. bummer. The Exxon Valdez, it uh, spilled in March of 1989. In Alaska, causing a ton of ecological damage, just impossible amounts of it. It was the biggest oil spill in history until it was like dwarfed by the 2010 BP Deepwater Horizon atrocity. <laughs> the history on it, if you thought like, oh man, Exxon was really fucked by this. Like, no, they were not. They were sued in civil court and lost about a billion dollars. And they say they spent $2 billion in cleanup, but it was 20 years before they finally were faced punitive damages from the government for what they did. It went to the Supreme Court and Justice Alito had to actually recuse himself because he owned millions in stock in Exxon. Wow. And uh, they eventually only had to pay $507 million, And they even got a better deal than that because Exxon very, like, evilly made a deal with a bunch of the seafood companies that worked in Alaska that they're like, hey, we'll pay you a lump sum of money now for damages if you agree to take on any punitive damages in the future to lawsuits. So they, and they got to collect insurance money. Exxon collected insurance money from the tanker. Wow. So that's crazy. They, but- they really, Exxon did not pay much of a price at all for this. But the captain. I hate all of this information. It's, it's disgusting. I'm and the sorry. captain, um, I, I was reading about the captain, and reports are inconclusive as to whether or not he was drunk. Yes. In the eyes of the law, Joseph Hazelwood was not drunk in that he was also sued in civil court and in regular criminal court for it. The Alaskan DA said he was drunk. By his own admission, he had, quote, two or three vodkas the afternoon that it happened, but that they couldn't, Alaska failed to 
to prove that he was legally drunk because there were problems with like his blood samples or whatever. Hmm. So the they only charged him with a fine of fifty thousand dollars and one thousand hours of community service. And he did appeals on that. So that happened in eighty nine. He did appeals on that until nineteen ninety nine before he finally had to do his community service, which he did over the course of ten years, and then paid his fifty thousand dollars in two thousand four. He ultimately apologized by saying, I'm sorry I did this to Alaska, but you guys are wrong at the mad at the wrong guy. It wasn't my fault. He was set up. He was set up. I mean, Exxon does seem more evil than him. They really do. But uh, one thing that did, I feel slightly bad for his, you know what? I don't feel bad for him, but (laughs) though he was not found legally drunk, he became famously in all jokes as the drunk captain of the Exxon Valdez. So that's what he will always be known as. There's even a joke on the critic. Uh, remember that? Yeah. Uh, Jay's oil cured his disease, That's so now right. he can cr- he can crash ships. He's one of the many uh, horrible people that Jay thanks, saves at the thanks end. Thanks to Jay's oil, I'm yeah. spilling my oil. That's right. Oh, oh thank you, Henry. God. God. Uh, sorry, this was a lot of depressing information. Uh, about- let's no, get- it's okay. I mean, I was one year old when this happened and lived with jokes about it for my entire life and have, again, not really ever wanted to look it up because I don't like looking at dead animals. Mm-hmm. So, so what- <laughs> now I know. So what you're saying is you have an alibi. <laughs> I do. You were one. I was okay. Okay. You're out of the clear. You're in the clear. In the clear. <laughs> there were also other other references to the Exxon Valdez, included Waterworld using it as one of its main action set pieces, where the villains live in the Exxon Valdez and they are uh, drinking the l- secret liquor supply of the captain in it. Even I wonder if that's part of the Waterworld stunt show that still <laughs> exists. I can tell you, having seen it in person because mm. I live in LA, that I don't think it is. I don't remember that. Uh, they might get sued by Exxon. Yeah, they mm-hmm. might be afraid of that. That show is a real is a real wild ride, I we, tell you. You know, Bob and me just went to Universal Hollywood, but we didn't see that stunt show. We could hear it when we were walking around, but we should have taken it in. It's uh, really strange. I watched it with a bunch of my friends and we were, you know, like eight queer women and we were really enjoying it as strange as it was because the stunts are, are wild and it's so Hollywood because it opens with like, here are our actors today and here's like the bit parts they have on sitcoms and stuff like you know because it's everyone's part-time job and then like two-thirds of the way through it there's just this like really unnecessary rape joke and we were all like come on (laughs) we we didn't come here for this we came here to see the the, dumb explosions it's a nice day at a theme park man i have to wonder if it starts with someone coming out and saying now who remembers water world (laughs) no no hands go up distance itself um as far as i can tell pretty far from the source material but the explosions are very fun that's good that's good uh what do you think of the simpsons ride in the the springfield at universal you know i think it's been there for a long time and the screen has gotten dimmer because when I went to see it, it didn't, I mean, because I was comparing it with the Minions ride, which whatever you think of Minions is a very fun ride. It's a great and ride, yeah. It is. It's really fun. And the Simpsons one I enjoyed, but it seemed like this, the screen was so dark. And maybe it was just the day I went. Maybe it's been fixed. Um, but it's very similar. It was fun. Mm-hmm. It usually has too long of a line for what it is, though. That was our longest line, that ride. It was day. about an hour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- that Exxon stuff, too, it reminds me of... When I was a kid, when it happened, I'm slightly older than you, 
uh, Kate. So I was like seven or eight when it happened. And I remember there was a ton of cartoons about environmentalism and eco. I mean, Captain Planet is the most famous, but there were many others. And it did turn kids into like the eco kids who like, I'm going to save the planet. And I do kind of miss that energy that like Lisa gets infected with in this too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think they're kind of passing the buck to kids. Like, well, you guys figure it out. We're done. (laughs) That's, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, and also I think one of the problems with that vision of environmentalism is that it it makes it a very person level thing with while not really blaming the corporations that are doing so much more damage than any million people not recycling would do comparatively but well it's i mean it's the plastic straws thing right Mm -hmm. it's like oh we're gonna fix everything by doing this very very tiny gesture that inconveniences a lot of people (laughs) but not you know the the much much larger scale things that would have an actual impact down Mm -hmm. the line it's yeah very it's very corporate environmentalism very much so i also like the gag here of the celebrities getting going there for a photo op and that they've called all the cute animals to (laughs) on camera though this has i think this episode has a little not like south park level cynical but kind of a cynical idea on environmentalism of like they mostly agree that it's a good thing but that it's boring and no fun and the only people that really a lot of people who care about it are just doing it for the cameras and it's joyless and it's yeah it is joyless i mean i mean marge is wearing kenny's same jacket so yes you could say it has Uh that irreverent (laughs) south park humor it is it's it's a very strange one because i feel like marge and lisa's plot is so sort of inconsequential like it it happens and then it's over to kind of take up some screen time and then it's like oh no here's the part of the the show everyone's actually interested in it's very odd yeah, it's a strange setup. It it feels like they just decided they needed them out of the house for Bart to work at the burlesque house, and they mm-hmm. thought of the reason why later. I guess we didn't need to see it, but a a few good jokes come out of it, but it is very slight. Yeah. This episode also made me feel guilty that uh, back when I was a cat owner with my, uh, (laughs) as a youngster, I didn't trim their nails. I was just like, ah, they're going to scratch me when I do it. They, the cats just kind of bit their own nails if they, if they felt they were too long. Are you, are you, what what's your opinion on trimming cats nails? My cats won't let me. Mm -hmm. I have tried. (laughs) I've tried for many years. My, my older cat, Lilu, I've had for nine years now. She was a and a half when I got her and uh, she's let me trim her nails maybe twice I just buy a lot of scratching posts and things because mm. technically that's all they need I'm sure an angry cat people will tell me that I'm a monster um <laughs> it's impossible I I can bathe her I can give her baths and she will let me do that but wow. nails not gonna happen and uh my boyfriend's cat Ray she's only a year and a half and she was a street cat and I can't imagine trying Mm -hmm. (laughs) you just can't imagine yeah cutting my bird's nails is like disarming a bomb (laughs) i let an expert do it i'm not going in yeah no i take i take her to the vet and i'm like here please please (laughs) Uh, we used to have to i grew up with guinea pigs and we had nine of them at one point in time and we would have to clip their nails because otherwise they couldn't walk it would get really bad or they would do that thing where they curl under and it's really painful for them but that was easier they're small, but they're very docile. Guinea pigs are lazy hamsters. They're great. I really love them. Uh, but yeah, I, cats are a whole other thing. I, I I also love Lisa's very childlike tactics of 
begging for something. I'm like, well, this could be my birthday and Christmas present. I definitely tried that one. And when you're told by a parent, you barely ever use that last thing I got, uh-huh. you're like, no, I use it all the time. The peach tree is I, a very good Lisa gift. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down, because I took notes, because I, you know, I, I do stuff on a Buffy podcast too. And so this is like ingrained in me. Two of the first notes I took were like, great jokes, cat nails, Lisa peach tree. Because <laughs> they're both, this is the thing that really came up you know, watching this and a thing that is really different from a lot of the cartoons I watch now is the the joke per minute ratio is wild. There is mm-hmm. so much. You look away and it's like, it was still very good at this point in time. Yeah, the density of the jokes still are so great. Like in this scene with uh, Bart and Homer being left home alone. Now the cat needs no his problem. medication every Can't morning. Do. And the furnace has been right. giving off uh-huh. a lot of carbon gotcha. monoxide, so keep the window open. Get in the furnace. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think I'll take Maggie with us. And if anything happens, just use your best judgment. Just do what I would do. Woohoo! A whole week of just father and son. See you at dinner. What time? I don't know. Shall we say ten? All right, just wake me up. And they're watching the World Series of Bumper Cars. <laughs> yes. That's one of many World Series of X jokes that were, I think, in the Algene Mike Reese, uh, like World Series this of Dog Racing. This was the return racing. of the yeah. World Series stuff this year. The World Series of Cockfighting cock they did fighting, as yeah. well. The World Series of Sandcastle. That's right, that yeah. One. I think Nancy and Dan have a really great chemistry. as It gets to be shown off in these, when Homer and Bart are friendly to each other, you get to see that a lot more. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, some nice echoes of Homer alone. Like, what mm. does Homer do when Marge isn't there to keep things clean and to yes. make him actually cook real food and things like that. Useless. He's pretty useless. It does remind me as a kid, I sometimes welcomed a father-only night of if my mom was out doing something, which was kind of rare, but the fun of the negligence was often outweighed by his eventual like harping on me too much and uh, really kind of projecting his unhappiness onto me. So I, I eventually got tired of uh, dad days, as it were. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. I also, I do, I do love the line, though. Cat in the furnace. Like, <laughs> Homer thinks Check. he's very helpful with that. <laughs> the Simpsons will be right back. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, perhaps while you're playing with your peach tree. That's not a euphemism, but, uh, and we really like to thank Kate Leth for being our guest this week. She was so great. Follow her on Twitter at Kate Leth. You should buy of all of her comic books. You should watch all the TV shows she's on. She is the greatest, and we thank her so much for doing this week's episode. Also, if you're enjoying this week's episode and you'd like to hear next week's A Week Early and Ad Free, you can hear it right now at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. You can be listening to us talk about A Millhouse Divided with Ian Jones Cordy and Toby Jones. 
the masterminds behind OKKO, who also worked on Regular Show and Steven Universe. Uh, Ian on Steven Universe, Toby on Regular Show. You can hear that and so much more stuff at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. You can hear our brand new interview with Dan McGrath, a writer on The Simpsons from seasons four, five, and six, who doesn't give too many interviews. And we talked to him about his work on The Simpsons as well as his work on Gravity Falls, Mission Hill, King of the Hill, and SNL. We learned so much from Dan. You can hear all of that and so much more at just $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Whether you're cleaning up an oil spill or doing a fan dance, it's always helpful at your job to listen to a cool podcast. Did you know that me and Bob do another weekly podcast? We do. It's called What a Cartoon, where me and Bob and a guest go through a different cartoon each week in the Talking Simpsons style. We've done Steven Universe. We've done King of the Hill. We've done Daria. We've done Cowboy Bebop. And we've done tons more stuff. You can listen to all of the episodes on their own RSS feed, What a Cartoon cartoon or if you sign up for that patreon.com slash talking simpsons you'll also get access to that podcast a week ahead of time and ad free all for the same five bucks and we've got some really great episodes coming your way in the future including our review of disenchantment the brand new netflix television series from matt graney josh weinstein bill oakley and a ton of other people who worked on the simpsons and futurama so check all of that out at patreon.com slash Talking Simpson. last bit of Exxon Valdez stuff the the bit with cleaning the rocks that was what you mainly had to do when you were cleaning up it was either animal bodies or you were cleaning rocks but one of the uh, the most Sisyphean things about it wasn't that if you cleaned it then the water came in and it made it dirty again it was that the oil had seeped in so much that it's just coming back up anyway after you've cleaned the rocks like I saw a clip of Tom Brokaw going back there in 2014 and a local was telling him now see look you just press a little into the ground bloop more yeah. oil like it, this is ruined forever and marge has rocks that need washing at home <laughs> i also wrote that down as one of my favorite jokes <laughs> it's a very mom statement i, I it's like very that. good yeah uh, but here's them cleaning up some rocks i'm gonna rescue a baby seal and then i'm gonna save an otter oh i'm sorry but all the animals have already been reserved for celebrities uh. There. That's 104 pounds of sand pipers. You mean there's nothing left to clean? Well, there are rocks. Thousands and thousands of rocks. I've got rocks that need washing at home. <laughs> and Marge is not being sarcastic. I can see her thinking about the ro- the dirty yeah. rocks around her yard. Marge doesn't have much capacity for uh, sarcasm. They don't, they don't grant her that much. Except when yeah. she says, well, duh, to Homer. She does get that. <laughs> I started writing down in this episode, God, I love Marge so much. She's such an unsung hero and in such a, a horrible uh, marriage. But <laughs> <laughs> she then she becomes like, oh, right. 
no, the the way she acts in the latter half of this episode is so contrary to how I think and feel and believe. It's very it's very conflicting. Yeah, I think not not to get too far ahead of ourselves. I do think they kind of dug up Marge's old prudishness from the itchy and scratchy and Marge episode from season yeah. two. It's it's not something they often go with with Marge. Marge, I kind of prefer the the line Marge said in Homer Palooza where she just yes, like yeah. she doesn't care about pop culture at all. It's, it's none of my business. <laughs> None of her business. I feel like, yeah, she would become yeah. uh, much more uh, meek, I guess, and not well. She would not want to engage on this on this level of you know activism. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Again, my my memories are super fuzzy and scream at me if I'm getting you know ahead of myself. I don't know if you guys are like, oh, spoilers! Don't talk about episodes we haven't watched yet. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> but they're you know the ones that I remember, the ones that stuck with me so strongly over the years, even though a lot of them haven't, were like. The episode with Marge and her Chanel outfit, mm-hmm. the one that she like keeps re redesigning so that she can keep wearing it. I remember that being one of my favorite episodes as a kid and like not really understanding why and, and years later going, oh, God, it's because Marge so rarely gets a chance to have this emotional nuance and this like you know really elaborate story and so it's sort of a bummer to see mm-hmm. yeah to see her written in in a certain way in this episode although it does kind of make sense someone has to fill that role yeah marge is a much more fleshed out character in that chanel episode maybe maybe because it was written by a woman i nah. directed by a woman too. see there you yeah. go <laughs> yeah it was I did, I did watch okay so i do this thing when i watch the credits of uh, any movie or cartoon now because i'm a writer in animation in hollywood where i count how many title cards go by before you see a woman's name that she wasn't a producer or a casting person basically anyone in an actual creative role mm-hmm. and woof it is rough on these yeah. <laughs> like some of these earlier Simpsons episodes. I think we have I, two in this era. So uh, yeah. Rachel Polito and Jennifer Crittenden are in this era. On staff. On staff yeah. as staff writers. Crittenden might have left by season no, she, eight. She's still on for Twisted World of March. Simpson. Okay, yeah. yeah. So she's still there, yeah. But Great. But I mean, that that's actually... By Simpson season standards, that is a very feminine writing staff compared to pre- wild. previous years. I yeah. swear, if you start doing that, even as a person who you know isn't really invested in those kinds of things, it will blow your mind when you start watching movies and you're like, okay, all right, how many, how many names, how many names, or how few? Yeah. Which is one thing that I completely off topic really loved about Black Panther because when the credits came up, it was like half women in in all kinds of different roles, like not just you know writing, but it was great. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we did cover some of the problems the show had with hiring anything but white men who graduated from Harvard. Yes. And, yeah. And uh, so Jennifer Crittenden was the first female writer that was hired in the sixth season. And that was only oh, because wow. Sam Simon left and his role was no dames in the writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, we, we chatted about this actually on our, our interview with Mimi Pond. So we, there were two women who wrote as freelancers before it, Mimi Pond and Nell Scovel. And we actually interviewed both of them. Yeah. Um, Mimi was the one who talked about how uh, Sam Simon wasn't into, he's, I believe his reasoning was that he said he was just divorced and he didn't want to work with any women for that. Right? Like, what what a great guy. But uh, well, ugh, anyway. Imagine uh, having that kind of power. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, it's yeah. it's not my my only hill to die on, but it is something that I do pay attention to. So it makes sense, and it kind of warms my heart that that Marge episode was written by a woman. That's cool. And that episode is also one of the like only times Marge has any friends of her own. Yeah, she just has her sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not particularly great. 
But uh, Bart had, after making some garbage angels with Homer, which definitely reminds me of my apartment uh, before <laughs> I, I got a husband and started cleaning up after myself. I also am very much on Homer's side of not wanting fresh air and wanting to not have to get up. Do I have to sit up? <laughs> yes. I, that's my opinion on most weekends. Like, do I have to sit up to go to this concert? I do. They head to the park, and that's where we get to see Milhouse and his plane. Millhouse, this is boring. Make it crash or something. Perfectly level flying is the supreme challenge of the scale model pilot. Give me that. Hey! I don't like being outdoors, Smithers. The one thing, there are too many fat children. (laughs) (laughs) Martin and Ralph are an odd pairing. It has to be the first time they've ever talked to each other in the show. I don't think they they would intersect. No. I think they they just needed two fat children. (laughs) As as Burns put it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So rude. It's it's quite rude. But I mean that's Mr. Burns for you. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, did I did really like I do. I remembered that specific moment more than I remembered a lot of other stuff in this episode. The two of them in that paddle boat and how just strange that was. <laughs> it's I a really little like cute. It. Like, yeah. it, well, Martin also is written often to have no friends. So if Ralph wants to hang out with him, who is he to turn him down? Ralph is low enough on the social ladder to be a Martin companion. But I, I really yeah. do enjoy the plane ricocheting off of Smithers' flat oh, top. Such a good. It's song. a weird <laughs> joke, but it's funny. It's very good. Yeah, and uh, I also love that it really fits that Millhouse is the type of uh, geek who would tell everybody, like, no, having boring flying is the (laughs) point of this scale model airplane. I understand it, though, because I've tried to fly toy drones Mm. um, before, and I am terrible at it. It is absolutely awful. So I understood. I recognized that desire when I watched it because mine just is bad news. I was working in a nerdy tech office when those things started uh, being created and brought into the market. And I'm like, get that thing away from me. I'm trying to write a preview that no one will read. (laughs) My my work is so important. Get it away from me. (laughs) The uh, plane lands on top of this spooky house. And when they head over to the haunted house, it I like the kids talking to each other. It's a very like kid uh, realistic scene. Very sandlotty. Oh yeah. yeah. So uh, I I like the reaction of that's the house. Mm-hmm. I wrote that one down too. <laughs> <laughs> They've all heard of the house where they put brains of zombies into other zombies to make super zombies, but this is that house they've all heard of. Millhouse has a lot of crazy conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. It's this, the reverse vampires. We're through the looking glass here, people. (laughs) And I have to point out, so I see this, I, I swear to God, I see this on Facebook every month. But it's like nine ways Simpsons predicted the future. And I think I wrote even wrote a parody of this because I hated it so much. But uh, <laughs> when Bart is ringing the intercom, it, the intercom kind of looks like an iPod. Kind oh, it of. It does, yeah. yeah. The sh- I noticed that, the shape of it. But it's just like an arbitrary yeah. it's a circle in a smaller It's a circle <laughs> with a circle in it and a square on top. But that article's yeah. like, they, they, predicted the, they predicted the iPod. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. It's, it's no, a square. No, some animator didn't want to draw the intricacies of a call box. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of buttons on those. I'm still mad about this, by the way. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but here's Bart and his success at the haunted house. Thanks a lot. Now it's stuck on that haunted house. I heard a witch lives there. 
I heard a Frankenstein lives there. You guys are way off. It's a secret lab where they take the brains out of zombies and put them in the heads of other zombies to create a race of super zombies. That's the house? <laughs> Stand aside, wussies. Go away. No children. Enough talk. S-U-C-C-E-E-S, that's the way you spell success. That is not the way you spell success. Did Bart jinx it by misspelling it? In Maybe. His song? On the commentary, <laughs> David Silverman compares this to, to a scene from Lupin the Third, though, which I appreciate. Oh my God, that's yeah. right. He does. He's like, that's like, he calls it Lupin Three, though. <laughs> I always thought it was a hereditary thing because of Homer's like SMRT. Oh, Could be, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> got that Sim- He's got that Simpson gene for uh, mm-hmm. for failure. <laughs> it's a really clever trick that they have. The first time you hear Belle's voice, that it's Tress McNeil basically doing her voice of Seymour Skinner's mom. It does sound like Agnes, yeah. Yeah, and so it it really goes into the witch thing. But then when you know the other side of it, that she she's just trying to say like. You dumb kids, get away from my burlesque house. You're scaring away the clients. Like, it works on so many levels. Go bother the bordello. It's also like, don't don't come in here. This is not for kids. I feel like she's just, you know, giving them common courtesy warning. Yeah. She's she's so great. My love for this character is basically limitless. <laughs> it's a really cool gargoyle Bart breaks, too. And the little gag of the caterpillar walking on his fingers. And a very funny, cartoony moment. Belle's design. I love Belle's design. Especially, it's so good. Especially with her cloak. It's, it's so, mm-hmm. like, uh, scary at first. And then the way they're able to soften her while not really changing. Changing her design is is really impressive on the animators, and I believe I, uh, I believe they had a problem trying to find a guest voice for her because they wanted older women to play this role, obviously, but no one wanted to play the proprietor of a burlesque house, An entrepreneur. Yes, that's right, uh, entrepreneurs. But, but Tress uh, does a great job. It's so good. She's yeah. I I think we've said this before, Bob, but how Tress McNeil, she often, she has so much range, but she, especially in in animation, she kind of gets typecast or has to play the same roles. She doesn't get cast in these kind of guest star level roles like Belle. So she really gets to show off her skills, including a song like in in this character. That's right. And also in that Chanel dress episode, she plays Marge's friend. That's right. Because they couldn't get Stalker Channing. That's I did not superstar know that. That's stalker great. Channing. Yes, I wish they they'd have gotten her. But yeah, that was Bill Oakley had uh, in our interview with him. As long as I'm talking up our interviews all the time, uh, but he he mentioned that they just had kind of a problem with they would offer the roles to some prominent character actresses, and for one reason or another, they just said no. They just had bad luck. So. It's really hard. I mean, we're you know working on a show now, and and I'm not really in that role on it. But yeah, finding finding voice people getting a hold of the ones that that you're looking for is uh i mean i would think it would be easier for a show like the simpsons because i feel like they had a a pretty big reach and probably a decent budget especially by this season Mm -hmm. so when they don't know they said they're the the producers have said before they're in with a lot of people over 40 was mm. men and women was that they just got they said like well your kids love this show or your grandkids so they'll think you're really cool if you do the simpsons yeah they when i worked over at hasbro that was the thing about my little pony was that ah. it's so easy to get voice actors because everyone's kids love my little mm. pony <laughs> so <laughs> everyone wants to be cool for their kids <laughs> bart is taken home for 
more discipline. Just a minute. <laughs> Hello? Your son was trespassing on my property and destroyed a very valuable stone gargoyle and... Are you wearing a grocery bag? I have misplaced my pants. I'm not going to press charges, but I assume you'll want to punish him. <laughs> yeah, appreciate the suggestion, lady, but he hates that, and I gotta live with him. You're the man, Homer. <laughs> well, if you won't discipline him, I'll come back and speak with his mother. No, wait, wait. Madam, I run a house of discipline. The boy will be disciplined and disciplined severely. Good day. Oh, I don't know how to punish you. What does Marge usually do? She makes me taste beer. Come on, boy. Give your old man a little credit. Yeah, well, I still get to punish you. I, I totally forgot that she has a slight, like, maybe like a 10% southern twang in her mm, voice. Just a little bit of a southern bell. Yeah. It's you, great. You really have to focus it. in on it. It's not it's not super overpowering, but I like it adds a little bit to the character and her history. It's like someone who came from the south and then has moved to Springfield, you know, mm. has been there for a long time, but there's still a little bit of a lilt. Mm. <laughs> it's great. There's, uh, there's so much to Belle that really flavors her character with so much background that they don't have to address her like, did has she always owned? this the the maison derriere did she inherit it is is she a former performer who then bought the place like what is her history i'd love to know see i have always imagined and especially since i have seen the movie in recent years i now believe she's like a goth version of mm. dolly parton in best mm. little whorehouse in texas uh, which is one of my favorite movies love that so movie. there's definitely a lot of influence from that in this one. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, madams, women of the house, uh, used to work there, and then they, like, inherit it, and then they run the show. They're it, always so interesting. It doesn't feel like Christmas if I don't listen to the song Hard Candy Christmas. Oh, It doesn't feel right. So great. I love that. I didn't see that movie for years and years and years because the title put me off. Mm -hmm. And then I finally sat down maybe three or four years ago and watched it and was like, who's been keeping Dolly Parton from me? And then I watched <laughs> nine to five and I was like, this is a work of genius. Why is, I guess, because of where I grew up in Canada, there was, you know, Dolly wasn't part of the, the oeuvre, <laughs> the background. And it's Dol nice to discover her later in life. Dolly is the greatest. I love Dolly Parton so much. So good. I also love Bart's, uh, she makes me taste beer. Like there's kind of a hopefulness to the line <laughs> reading there. He wants beer and bras in this episode. <laughs> He's really growing up too fast. He's curious at the very least. <laughs> least uh bart gets sent to his job marge bart and homer all do damage to poor bell's house like, <laughs> although i will say that gargoyle is back on the house like mm. the next time they show That's the house true bart didn't need to work there that long no. to fix whatever he broke he just wanted to be an employee, I think, after like two weeks. He's like, yeah, I'll do the right. I, and uh, the reveal of the club where he thinks that he's going to be Dustin Doilies and then he sees the uh, the nature of the club is, is a really fun reveal. I like just they, the animators, uh, Dominic Pulcino and his team working overtime on just so many dance sequences and yeah. unique sequences of the burlesque performers. Yeah, so made a lot of different costumes. Very, very I did write down, one of the first things I wrote down was like, oh, there's a lot of racial diversity at this club. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there really is. <laughs> it's not just all the exact same, uh, you know, model or character. Yeah. So that's fun. 
from a from just even a uh, time saving stance, that the, they would go undiverse in shows like this. Uh, they'd be like, "Look, we we can draw the we can draw the same dancer, the same white dancer, and change your hair color, or we could make a diverse group, which would take a lot more time." But they they went with diverse sets. It didn't hit me really until I saw until the the end song spring. Me too. Yeah. But Princess Cashmere. So many characters and voices in this episode. They I'm sure had to stretch that budget just nearly till it snapped. <laughs> I 25 minutes before we started this interview rewatched the Steven Universe episode Mr. Greg, one of my favorite episodes of cartoons ever, and there is a whole series of butlers dancing. It's mm-hmm. the only musical episode. Mm-hmm. Um forgive me if I'm telling you something you already know, but they're all the exact same model. <laughs> like there, there's and I like it it embraces that, yeah. but it's also like working sort of in the industry and knowing the inside is like, oh, well, you had a full musical episode, so you had no budget for animation. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and we see more of Princess Cashmere than we've ever seen before. Oh, my, yes. Or uh, since. It was... It- <laughs> It, uh, I kind of like that callback to the previous. It wasn't really a burlesque episode. It was more just about exotic dancers in general. The uh, I don't know that that last number was a burlesque that, number, you know, right? That, yes, like, in that classic I love a million girls. One. Yeah, yeah, that is a burlesque one. I stand corrected. And so it's cool that they brought back uh, the se- season one superstar Princess Cashmere for this episode too. But when Bart first sees the club, I think this is uh, Bell has a very succinct description of burlesque. <laughs> Wow, man, what is this place? I prefer not to be called man. My name is Belle, and this is the Maison Derriere. That means the uh, back house. Are you having a party or something? Nonstop. We're a burlesque house, a private club where gentlemen can play some cards and see a show. <sighs> Miss Belle, we're about to do our Around the World number, but Monte Carlo can't find her dice. Here you go, darling. Normally, we don't allow children in here, but your father was so insistent. He's tough, but there. I'll start sorting these bras. <laughs> That's a bit advanced for you, but I know a stopped-up sink that needs some attention. Just glad to be on the team. So Bart is on board immediately. Oh, very much so. Uh, you know, I noticed again, if, if you ask animators to draw a heaving bosom, they're going for it. It's a, it's a cute moment there that Bart is just, he's ready to be on the team. And he, he then gets introduced to the idea of the old greet and toss. <laughs> when you work the door, the main things are to greet the visitors and toss out the troublemakers. Oh, the old greet and toss. No problemo. How did I ever get along without you? Is your name Bart? Mm-hmm. What the you which does your father know you're working here? It was his idea. In that case, I'll have a whiskey sour. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, I, I forgot that there's more to the joke than him just walking out because that is the meme online. When you don't yes. want to be part of a conversation anymore or you don't like a topic, you will post that gif mm-hmm. on Twitter it's or whatever. Wild. At now, like going back and watching things that you saw so many years ago that exist in perpetuity and gifts and see them in context, it is strange. Mm-hmm. Something that feels very, very odd about it. Yeah, we we have that in so many episodes where we're like, oh yeah, this is the meme, and I forgot all about it. when we did steamed hams. I was like, oh, I forgot <laughs> yeah. what the scenes were before and after yeah. steam, steamed ham. And now there are uh, shit posting versions of this meme in which there are different characters walking out, and mm-hmm. a different person is uh, the receptionist. It's they've done so much with it. Yeah, it, and it's great acting by Dan there on Abe going like. Bleh! 
Like this is Is your uh, name Bart? <laughs> <laughs> He's not totally sure if that's truly Bart there, but his and that he just accepts it and gets his whiskey sour is uh, once it's he realizes Yeah. Oh sorry. I said it's a good drink. <laughs> uh, I haven't I this this makes me want to try a whiskey sour this episode. You'd like it, Henry. <laughs> uh, I I I enjoy I mean I enjoy fruity drinks, sure. It's pretty fruity. Mm. Uh, it's also, believe it or not, sour. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, I wouldn't put that one in the fruity category. That is, mm. uh, so I quit drinking almost a month ago. And um, before I did that, um, I would specifically always ask bartenders if I didn't understand anything that was on the menu or didn't recognize anything. I'd be like, make me your most old man drink <laughs> because I like things that are, are savory and that you can like taste the booze and that, you know, feel like I would be sipping them while talking about wartime. Um, <laughs> that is always been my favorite <laughs> oh, that's nice. so, gin I and feel, aspirin it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know my most of my drinks I, i'm not a big drinker but most of my drinks need at least like one cup of sugar in mm. it for me to enjoy it that's fair uh but the uh we then we then come back to marge and lisa scrubbing them rocks and again i already talked about how how it's useless in a different way but i the, their stance on the environmentalist here that they're just no fun because they're boring and they, the real torture is having to watch environmentalist comedy. <laughs> I that's that's cute. It's cute. I want to try a kelp burger though. Yeah. yeah. And in our modern age, I they, eat hamburgers made out of everything weird. So sign me up for kelp. In '96, that idea was it was why it was insane. You're you're being ridiculous, Bob. A kelp burger? Why don't you just yeah? And now it's for- like you know, I live in. LA and mm-hmm. they'll make a burger out of any vegetable here. Pretty good ones. Oh yeah, I've had good yeah. ones made out of uh, sunflower seeds, believe it or not. Whoa. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and uh meanwhile Bart finds out that he is he's replacing Mel Zets, which that's a great name. I love Even Mel Homer Zets. knows about him. And he's also, <laughs> I guess because of his advanced age, very very small. He's a small old man. Or he, I mean, he could be a little person that's always worked there. He, he could be. He got out of uh he broke a sip by getting out of bed too quickly. So <laughs> That's a mood. <laughs> <laughs> An elderly, oh yeah. An elderly little person that seems like the perfect fit at a at a burlesque club, I would think. He'd, that he has a spinning bow tie, and it's also just great writing on the part of the show of Bart's like classic burst belt style humor that wouldn't have to change for since nineteen forty. The nudist yeah. colony. And when people laugh at the first joke, he's just like, "Okay, <laughs> I don't get this." Yeah, he rolls with it so yeah. quickly. <laughs> There's a bad bookkeeping joke. I haven't heard it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, and I love those jokes too because they're they're risque. They're risque in the way that would make like people in 1918 go, "Oh my!" I'm blushing. <laughs> Homer is is looking for Bart. It's eleven o'clock. Do you know where your children are? I told you last night. No. Mm-hmm. Where is Bart anyway? His dinner is getting all cold and eaten. <laughs> Bart, where are you? Come on! I have to be up at 6 a.m. to swipe Flanders' newspaper. What the? President Eisenhower celebrates 40th wedding anniversary. Not pictured Mrs. Eisenhower. I'm sorry. This is all my fault. Bart was filling in I don't care if he was filling in for Mel Zett. He's my son, and I don't want him working so late that... 
Oh, I agree. Kids need rules and boundaries. Yes, everyone loves rules. It's so tough to be a parent these days. What with all the gangs and the drugs. Oh, yeah, drugs. You gotta have drugs. <laughs> hey, you didn't pay the cover. Oh, Bart, he's your father. We'll comp him tonight. Start a tab tomorrow. You gotta have drugs. Gotta have drugs. I love Belle so much. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she's she's quite an entrepreneur with that uh, comping tonight and start a tab. That's so great. She she knows she's played this game so many times. She she can talk anybody into that place, which I just love too. She's a great like businesswoman, really. And I mean, you you have to be. She's good it's at a, it. It can be a tough line of work. Yeah. Well, that oh man, that fan dance animation on Princess Cashmere. Wow. That is that was something salacious for ninety six yeah. late night TV or primetime <laughs> TV. I remember being very like titillated by this episode, even as a youth, and mm. and I guess this would predate my self awareness about being very attracted to women. But it definitely some check box got <laughs> checked in my mind where I was like. This is all right. Mm. This is it's okay if this happens. Like watching Lola Bunny and Space Jam. I was too young. <laughs> But I knew. <laughs> well, I was 14 and it didn't take much. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, that's another credit to the animators on this, too, that like the Simpsons character designs for any gender are not intrinsically sexual or easy to sexualize. So, finding a way to set, draw sexy ladies and also animate them in different dance routines, like that's uh, it's a, 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 quite an accomplishment. It's wild. They're just like boobs. There's just a bunch of boobs, and they'll be have tiny waists, and otherwise they'll look like every other Simpsons character. Is this it? I think this is it. This works. But the costumes are great. They're really good. And I really enjoy the – so I love Principal Skinner, and I yes. love this next scene with him because oh my God. Skinner is the kind of <laughs> yeah. guy who would think a stripper or a burlesque performer would be falling in love with him. Yes. yes. He is that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> oh, also that uh, just for uh, stat purposes, if that was Eisenhower's 40th anniversary, that photo was taken in 1956. Wow. He, they were, he married his wife in 1916 and they stayed married until his death in 1969. Wow. It was Mamie Eisenhower who was not pictured there. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I want to hear Skinner. It's perfect casting for Skinner to be this guy. Oh, I hope I didn't miss the floor show. Nope. Is Roxanne <laughs> back? Yep. Did she uh, get my flowers? She did. I... Hello, Bart. Hello, Principal Skinner. This is the National Air and Space Museum, isn't it? <laughs> oh, this isn't going to be about Jesus, is it? All things are about Jesus, Homer. Except this. Your son has been working in a burlesque house. Principal Skinner saw him with his own eyes. That's true, but I was only in there to get directions on how to get away from there. Helen, as a responsible parent, I was already well aware of that. Homer, I'm as permissive as the next parent. I mean, just yesterday, I let Todd buy some red hots with a cartoon devil on the box. But you can't possibly think it's appropriate for your 10-year-old son to work in a burlesque house. Mm -hmm. Oh, no? Well, if Homer Simpson wants his 10-year-old son working in a burlesque house, then Homer Simpson's 10-year-old son is going to work in a burlesque house. That's... Uh, <laughs> Hi! Now, Marge, you're going to hear a lot of crazy talk about Bart working in a burlesque house. 
It's a great act break. And also, <laughs> Skinner should have bought Bart Silence. Yeah. He's, he's giving himself away, which we'll see later. Yeah, that's true. He uh, he would learn later to buy his silence in a I future mean, episode. What's going to happen with Roxanne? Yeah, it's, it's true. Splitsville. It's over for I him. love that so much. It's like, yeah, he's he's the guy who now would be like, reply to all of your tweets mm. and say that you were very good friends even if you had him muted it's <laughs> great uh, <laughs> yeah it's he's the guy now i think who would be replying to way too many porn stars on twitter oh yeah <laughs> and just being like lovely gorgeous <laughs> great um, pick i emoji <laughs> uh it it was good to cast skinner in it though too because he's not there is a certain sweetness or at least like naivete to it that he uh, that you wouldn't get from if it was, say, I don't know, Dr. Nick Riviera or yeah. Lionel Hutz. When Bart is just enjoying confronting Skinner about it, the way Bart says, nope. <laughs> like, it's so... He has the upper hand. It's so great. I I also often have Homer's reaction if I see religious people like, this isn't about Jesus, is it? Like, <laughs> uh, but everything is about Jesus. Except We this. used to, back when I lived in Nova Scotia, on our mailbox, we had written no flyers please beware of cat praise lucifer <laughs> and the reason it said praise lucifer was because i meant to write hail satan because i only had one s left <laughs> but then i put a p on it and was like oh well, i gotta put praise and i was like well, i only have one s i can't do <laughs> satan i can't do all these different things that i went inside and asked my roommates i was like what's another word for satan that doesn't have an s in it and like without missing a beat my room is like lucifer obviously <laughs> it's so like great thanks and ran back out to the mailbox uh, that, anyway it kept a lot of uh well wishers at bay that's mm. man I, I am gonna i need to steal that that's a good idea i really need one of those uh when i moved to a new apartment i don't know eight years ago it was a terrible day moving always sucks and I finally get all the stuff in. I'm just sitting down, having like a beer or something. And there's a knock at my door, and it's two Jehovah's Witnesses. And I open the door, and I only say, "This is the wrong day," and I close it. <laughs> it was the I feel worst like possible when they see time. Me, they they know yeah. it's a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm covered in tattoos. I have a pink mohawk. I'm, there's just gay art all over my walls, and <laughs> it's like you're not getting through this. You can try. <laughs> Good luck, but. buddy. Jehovah's Witnesses on moving day, I think that would be the only time I would be like just truly rude to them. I'd be like, you know what? I'm not even going to be, I'm not pretending here. It's just, and I was. <laughs> I would say I was more curt. Yeah, not more curt than rude. My grandmother was Mormon and she, her, her experience that my mom used to tell me about was that Jehovah's Witnesses would sneak out because they would come to her door and she would like invite them in for snacks and keep them there <laughs> asking them questions for so long that they would be like, oh. she told me a story about one time them being like, oh, can we, can we get some more cookies? And she went to the fridge and they like snuck out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not, uh, like this. No. <laughs> Not like this. Not like this. And, uh, you know, uh, when I worked at a cashier job at a movie theater, I met parents like Ned who, uh, it wasn't about Red Hots and a cartoon devil on it. It was about selling Harry Potter jelly beans to kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I had at least two parents there just like, we don't, we don't take that. This was in Northern Florida, just to give you uh, an idea of the area, but yeah. That's the gateway drug to just full on blood orgies and uh, (laughs) animal mutilations. If only, if only. Carrie Potter opened it up to that. Yeah, now that Marge knows about the burlesque cast, she really just she shows up covered in oil, and then she immediately turns like, "Nope, not." And now I am, I am the prudish, prudish Marge who censors, who who wants to get rid of people's fun. 
which that's I I just feel bad that Marge gets kind of pigeonholed into that sometimes by writers who just want to make her like not that there aren't you know white ladies who want to take away people's fun but uh, I, yeah. I feel bad that it has to happen to Marge. It's I like- very strange because it seems like a role that's so obviously filled by by Ned's wife. Yeah, but it's not because I think maybe the stakes then wouldn't be too high. Or maybe they didn't want to, you know, morally put Marge on the side of the burlesque house for a lot of different reasons. I I wonder if, you know, in every draft of the script, it was mm. always Marge. Or if they were like, this is the only way we can get away with it is if we are condemning this action by one of our main characters. Because you never know. Yeah, you know, the think, S&P has, has a lot of uh, input on stuff like this. So. Mm. I think the problem is Marge has to become the villain in Act 3 alone, and that's not enough time to develop why she's against this. And yeah. I feel like if this was more developed, then maybe Marge could be conflicted, and there could be a different villain. That would be great, but I, I think it was the easy out to choose Marge as the prude. But I do like this episode, but this is not the kind of Marge I like to see. No, I agree. I definitely don't think she is that prudish and sex negative and and all that kind of stuff i think she's the kind of person that's like oh i don't i don't want to talk about that we don't we don't talk about that in this house maybe mm-hmm. that is the unsaid thing but she's definitely not the you know i'm gonna take a bulldozer to this yeah yeah though this is before marge is like awakening as an exhibitionist though in a, in a couple seasons <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah scandalous episode <laughs> um, but here's when uh, marge confronts bell which i again great just tress mcneil so good here I have a favor to ask. Please shut this place down and move away from Springfield. (laughs) Oh, honey, you can't be serious. Springfield doesn't want places like this. I think I know what Springfield wants, sugar. Oh? I've lived in this town for 37 years. I've lived here 52 years. I'm third generation. Sixth. Mm. Get out of my town! (laughs) Listen, darling. We're just as much a part of Springfield as the church, the library, or the crazy house. So I think I'll stay right here, neighbor. Is that so? Well, sleazy entertainment and raunchy jokes will never be as popular as sobriety and self-denial. You're about to learn the two most dangerous words in the English language are Marge Simpson. It's a light pink 87 wagon. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the valley is... joke is so LA. Ah. I love it. Oh yeah, it really is. Wow, I didn't think of it that way. I, yeah. This is getting super nerdy, but that's what our show is for. Are they? Is this the first time they're pinning an age on Marge since? So, life in the fast lane, season one. It was her thirty fourth birthday. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't <laughs> think an, another age was named for her until this episode. So Homer just Wait, Marge be- was thirty four, and she had a ten year old kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that wasn't that strange. It feels strange now because oh, everyone yeah. I know is like turning thirty and just starting to think about kids. It's it's weird if you go back to the Simpsons uh, timeline. There's between eight to ten years in which Homer and Marge are out of high school with no kids, but mm. together. Huh. There's like almost a decade of time. So yeah, she'd be I guess having Bart at twenty seven. It's and, it's huh. kind of a slot. Well, because they they graduate in seventy four. Bart yeah. is born in nineteen eighty. Well, we can't acknowledge those years okay, anymore. It's, right. it's been way too long. <laughs> uh, but 
This is the first time they've said her age. I, I'm pretty sure this is the first time she said her age since her birthday in the season one. Yeah. And they recently aged up Homer to 39 in yes. this or last season. It was very recently. Mm-hmm. I forget the episode. I but think it was a very recent one we did. Yeah. I think. yeah we've, I, we've done a lot of these <laughs> all out of order. And, uh, and well, and also dating it that it's an 87 wagon, which in 96, that's an old car. Now it's like no 87 car runs, I would think. I would point. hope not. We go to the town hall, which I love the double awe. Like first that they hear that the, the, they can't get a super train to Aruba, mm-hmm. and then the set, and then when they hear that they have to hear from the moral committee, they just go. It's the same animation and same sound, mm-hmm. just awe again. The first Next thing that uh, Cohen said because we were watching it together was, uh, "These town halls are really well attended." <laughs> Everybody you know, turns yeah. up for these town hall meetings. Not a lot going on in Springfield. <laughs> if you go yeah. into public access and watch who actually shows up at your town hall meetings, <laughs> yes. they're empty except for like three cranks who show up to air their personal grievances with like specific yeah. officials. <laughs> now, it's more realistic in the town halls in, say, Parks and Recreation, which. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, those are so good. Right. I love that. That's when the show feels the most Simpsons y, like when Pawnee feels like a Springfield. Especially when Mike Scully's there oh yeah in the audience yeah. uh but uh oh sorry yes the the marge is confronting the town hall next on the agenda is uh the citizens committee on moral hygiene Aww. i'm here to share my moral outrage but this time it's not about that giant inflatable dos Equis bottle it's about a certain house in our town yeah well, well what's wrong with this house is it the plumbing no It's a house of ill fame, a house of loose ethics. Is there a building code violation, a drainage issue, a surveying error? The house is perfectly fine. Well, then quit bad-mouthing the house. (laughs) Yeah, leave the house alone. (laughs) Jesus, what's inside the house that's disgraceful? Drinking, gambling, and debauchery. I forgot how long that runner goes with them <laughs> taking her very literally, asking yeah. what's wrong so with the house. So funny. I thought, I for some reason, I remember it just being one joke, but that it keeps going on. And I love Otto's like, quit bagging on the house. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. that Wiggum was quit bagging on the house. I'm sorry. Yeah. I also wrote that one down as one of my favorite jokes. It's so good. It's just... <laughs> well, and, they, uh, they won't let her finish her obvious... They won't let her finish her obvious setup <laughs> of like, no, there's this house in town. What's wrong with it? Like, let me speak. <laughs> I love her. I love the quote, a secret house of burlesque. Yeah, they all just go, oh, there's such a such a great gasp on the house of burlesque. And we haven't seen much more from Eugene and Rusty. I lo- they're great one-time appearances here, Eugene. The one-off club. They, yeah. they live with Dr. Spyro, Hugh Jazz, all my favorites. They're the local perverts. <laughs> and their nervous laughter is great, too. Actually, yes, who? but who does visit this burlesque house? Oh, yes. Let us give no more scrutiny to this bawdy house and its small clientele of loyal perverts. Oh, I'm afraid this problem goes far beyond Eugene and Rusty. (laughs) Marge, if you please. Julius! Clancy! (laughs) Skinner! Seymour! Mother! Howdy! Cletus! Oh, uh, Barney. (laughs) Clancy! Hey, come on, you did me twice. Smithies? My my parents insisted I give it a try, sir. Mayor Quimby! Oh, well, uh, that could be any mayor. I rest my case. 
Er, uh, well, eh... In light of these new facts, of which I now realize I was largely aware, I must take action. It's very, very sweet how Mo feels the need to step in and be the one person to care about Barney. Aww. Barney has nobody. That nobody is, cares what Barney does. It is nice. I wrote down in all caps, Patty's gay. Yeah, that was, uh, to that point, that was their most overt Patty is a lesbian thing they've done in the show. Yeah, it was one thing that like, I, I, I wrote down earlier in the episode was, though this is the thing that's wrong about this burlesque house is there's no women in the audience because that's what makes clubs like that sleazy is when there's mm-hmm. no women and that's when they get gross. Mm. Not all the time. Well, that's a generalization, but it does help the ambiance. Anyway, I was very thrilled with that. And it was like two overt gay references in a row. Cause it's her and then Smithers. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. Wild. I, I I like too that bell. It shows that bell is open-minded. Like she's not turning away Patty for yeah. wanting to go there. I like that. And it would still be, I think another 10 years before the Patty comes out in the show. Or I think it was like, Oh, four Oh five. Did episode. she actually? Yes. She yeah. did. Yeah. Oh, wow. There was, I didn't know that. That was long after I stopped watching. That's fun. Yeah, there was the episode uh, Homer becomes an officiant of uh, the briefly legal in Springfield gay weddings. And uh, Marge is not approving of that. She Again, Marge becomes kind of a prude in that one, too. And that's when she finds out that her sister wants to get married as well. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can bag on newer Simpsons. And actually, that one isn't even newer anymore. It's like 10 years old. <laughs> but there's a really funny scene in it where Marge is remembering all the things that were like oh that she remembers now they're like oh that's Patty's gay I'd never realized it like them playing with different toys or Patty doing more butch things as a kid but then the third one is Marge is looking at like a sleepless in Seattle movie poster and you think it's about to cut to the joke is going to be that Patty is looking at some sort of lesbian movie poster instead it cuts to Patty making out with a woman (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. It's a great, it, I love that joke. That was like one of my most like laugh out loud jokes of a Latter-day Simpsons I've seen. It's, uh, it's At what point in the, the chronology is the rainbow construction worker guy? Oh, that's this season. Yeah, coming that's up at the season. end, I oh, think. Oh, right. Yes, I did look through that. And then, is that the same one with John Waters? Yes. Oh, yeah. Or is it, yeah. Okay. All right. I remember this a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, no, I uh, I also love that episode. I can't wait for us to do that episode. It was that construction worker, especially one of the first um, non-binary people I worked with. They just loved that character so much because they're like, he he's this big, tough construction guy, but who's just having more all this like femme, femme fun in it. He I, works and he plays hard. Yeah. And I have to wonder if Jasper was talking about the sex cauldron. <laughs> Is that the bordello? Uh, that's the bordello. The, the sex, sex cauldron. cauldron. <laughs> This is when they really leaned into the idea that Quimby always wears his mayor sash. like that. Yeah, just all the time. <laughs> People have to know he's the mayor, even when he's at the secret mm-hmm. the secret burlesque house. Once they've decided they're going to be an angry mob, I, I got to say, in today's cli- climate, the angry mob is a little less funny to me now. Even though they're an apolitical, well, they're not apolitical, but they're, they're not a- as hateful an angry mob as other mobs can be. The Simpsons mobs are more like old-timey Frankenstein mobs, yeah. though, like pitchforks yeah. and torches and all that stuff. True. So the mob arrives. Oh, there's no justice like angry mob justice. I'm gonna burn all the historic memorabilia. I'm gonna take me home a toilet. There the petabitu. Who is it? Uh, it's an angry mob, ma'am. Could you step outside for a twinkle while we knock down your house? <laughs> Just a minute. 
You degenerate two-bit proprietress. Don't you call me that. I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, shut <laughs> up. You're wasting valuable smashing time. This was the first time I got the proprietress entrepreneurs joke. That She's not it's offended so by being called two-bit. It's that you didn't call her an entrepreneur. She's proud of her two-bitness. <laughs> she earned it. She yeah. worked her way up. <laughs> it's true. She's She is rightfully proud. And it's a great scene of... Uh, Bell and then her being flanked by her performers walking out like it's uh, they they have a lot of like power and they're not feeling shame at all or anything. It's a good face off scene. Yeah. Yeah, I do really like that. I like that. She's not like, oh, you're right. I've seen the arrow of my ways. <laughs> she's like, you know, get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> You're on my uh, you're on my property. Leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they have a, a one more quick clip here. I love Homer. Homer realizes the importance of emphasis. <laughs> my friend, stop! Please hurry. Sure, <laughs> we could tear this house down. <laughs> no, my friend, stop! Let me finish. We could tear it down. Mm. But we'd be tearing down a part of ourselves. And then we get the amazing, we put the Spring in Springfield song. Oh, and one of the best songs from the show. I, next to Monorail, I think. I have to say, after much thought, I really like uh, See My Vest. But mm. See My Vest oh, could that not. Is so good. But it could not exist without Be Our Guest. Mm. This show yeah. is wholly, uh, sorry, this uh, song is wholly original. True. And that's why I think I like it the best. And it also won an Emmy written by Ken Keeler, this oh, song. Yep. Really? So oh. It deserves it. It's so funny. The use of the sound effects, the like quick cuts towards the end of it. Are, this is definitely one of the sort of cornerstones that made me want to write songs in animation and mm. write, you know, musical episodes of things. And I, I, it was such a delight to watch it again and remember how much I loved it. Yeah, I believe this episode won two Emmys for music, uh, one for best original song, and then another for the incidental music uh, that plays throughout. Ah. So maybe it, it was submitted really for good. both. You could close down Moe's or the Quickie Mart and nobody would care. But the heart and soul of Springfield's in our maze on We're the sauce on your steak. We're the cheese in your cake. We put the spring in Springfield. We're the lace on the nightgown. The point after touchdown. Yes, yes we, we put, put the, the spring in Springfield. We're that little extra spice that makes existence extra nice. A giddy little thrill at a reasonable price. Our only major quarrels with your total lack of morals. Our skimpy costumes ain't so bad. They, they seem, seem to entertain your dad. Visit. That service was exquisite. Why, Joseph, I had no idea. Come on now, you were working here. Without it, we'd have had no fun since March of 1961. To shut them down now would be twisted. We just heard this place existed. We're the highlights in your hairdo. The 
extra arms on Vishnu. So don't take the. We won't take the. Yes, let's be the. Yeah, it's great. I mean, um, so many great rhymes, so many characters are worked in, and it's again, it's two and a half uh, minutes long as well. Yeah, the the ragtime stylings of it are so fun, too, especially when the the band just walks out like they they yeah. they make it work in a diegetic sort of way, but but then also they'll do a, even better jokes after that of like it was just a spontaneous song. We can't just do it again. <laughs> I, I do like those jokes at the end, but yeah, this is one I catch myself singing in the shower a lot. Like if yeah. I have to go to a Simpsons song in my brain it will be this song and I, I mean I should know the old lyrics by now but of course I do it was really funny because we watched it last night and then today I was working on a script at work where someone was using a bow and arrow and I <laughs> could not stop thinking about the guy holding it yeah. <laughs> please hurry and I was like I have to work this in somehow per ha- um, Hans Molman poor guy <laughs> yes oh he's great this was my favorite part of the episode this is the thing I love about it more than anything it is so wild I mean especially for a cartoon that I saw when I was little that was so positive about this environment and about the burlesque house and it was everyone going yeah actually mm-hmm. <laughs> these fun sexy shows are great and the bullies with uh, we just heard this place existed and their nice yes. little barber que- oh, barbershop trio is yeah so good yeah it, it was a pre-internet porn era then too so they were like this they they had few other options they'd want i also wish we saw more of lovejoy's dad i don't think we've ever seen reverend lovejoy's father since this scene he's just been there he's ever since there. He lives oh, he there. Left. <laughs> I watched it and the it also hit home, I think, especially because, you know, I would watch and rewatch and rewatch these episodes. So I came from uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia is where I used to live before I moved to Burbank, California. And we had one strip club in the entirety of the Halifax Regional Municipality that Ralph's, it was called Ralph's. Mm, it may mm-hmm. still be called Ralph's. And it was um, not close to anything and several times throughout my life you know because we lived there from when i was 10 until i was 26 other clubs tried to open and got shut down by basically the the morals Hmm. squad Uh. (laughs) if they were anywhere and it was always the excuse of oh it's so close to a school oh it's so close to this we can't have this it was very strange for a town that liked to think of itself as being sort of liberal and progressive in a lot of ways and and Mm. we had five universities you know so Mm. but so i definitely recognized a lot of my hometown in in the way that they react to this place that that reminds me of uh where i grew up in jacksonville florida was almost uh, like there were not there were maybe a couple strip clubs, but there was one this gay bar and it was barely able to stay open on the outside of town. Like it constantly was in danger of, they carted you like four times at that place just because they're like, yes. we got to be sure. Like, but they Yeah, we open. had one like that too. And it moved locations and I don't know, I haven't lived there for almost three years now. So a lot has changed, but so many places have closed down. But yeah, the, the one gay bar they would you'd have to bring like at least two pieces of photo id wow and something else to get in it was very strange and i also think in the in the song it's really sweet that quimby married a performer there i think that's mm-hmm. uh, that's right that's <laughs> where uh, jackie onassis quimby comes from <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and last thing this the about the performance of this song it's that they pulled this off on a tv budget like this is like a disney well with the number of performers and characters in the scene 
scene. It's yes. it's it's like a Beauty and the Beast type se- sequence. Yeah, and very complex staging. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of people doing lots of different things. It's very impressive. And I would yeah. think Dominic Polcino worked out this muscle just as often when he was like the series director on Family Guy as well, because Family Guy had even more musical sequences than The Simpsons. So when the song ends, we get another very cute, uh, we talked about it before, but just, God, it's so funny when they comment on how unnatural the song is and how they just let it go. Well, I'm convinced the house stays. <laughs> this house is a very, very, very fine house. What are you doing, Marge? Didn't you hear the song? No, I had to go rest the bulldozer. Well, we all changed our minds. Yeah, now we love the house. What about the sleaze and the depravity? It was a very convincing song, Marge. Mm-hmm, there were kicks and everything. <laughs> Can you sing it again? I'm sorry, it really was one of those spur-of-the-moment type things. Well, I also have a song to sing. <laughs> Don't make up your mind until you hear both songs. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Morals and ethics and carnal forbearance. Uh, sorry. The Hans Mulman arrow joke is funny with how late it shows up and how it almost kills Marge, but it's also yeah. funny because it would have been perfect if it happened in the song when all the boings were happening at the <laughs> yes. end. But it happens like a minute after the song is over. He was still holding right. it. Yeah. He had his chance to fire it during the song. I get that one little clip that Marge sings stuck in my head to this day every uh, once in a while. Mor- moral just, forbearance or carnal forbearance. Yeah, morals and ethics and carnal forbearance. Oh, it's just such a, a, a well-strung-together series yeah. of um, sounds. It sounds like she's going for a parody of These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. I think yes. so, too. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I don't agree with Marge, but I want to hear her song. I do exactly. Want to. <laughs> you have to hear both songs. Got to hear and both songs. <laughs> <laughs> Lovejoy's very, very, very fine house thing that is obviously a quote from the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young song, too. Just to get one little extra reference in this episode. We don't need all those varies. No. But Please I will say, three. like, even on watching this one, though there are obviously references galore in it. It's an episode that sort of still stands on its own. Um, And that is the one thing that, you know, uh, not to disparage people who like what The Simpsons is now, that was part of why I fell off is it just became so topical that Mm. I would watch it thinking like, this isn't going to be funny in even like six months, you know, and and stuff like this, the earlier seasons is why I love them so much is that even though there are a lot of references, it's still really, really funny, even if you don't get all of them. And that's that's an art, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, we've been doing the show for over three years now. And I could say, Henry, I don't know if you agree with me, Oakley and Weinstein were not as into super referential humor as they were uh, into Mm -hmm. storytelling. I think Merkin and Algina Mike Reese, I remember just doing a lot more work in terms of digging up YouTube <laughs> clips, looking up the stories behind things. Well, and uh, like in, say, a Merkin in season five or six, he'd just be like, you know, it'd be funny if we just redid a scene from Big or Free Willy and then do a funny spin on it. Or Rear Window. Yeah. Or Rear Window. Uh, but in the Sims, in these seasons, they if they get specific, it's a character talking about something. They earn the specificity of a reference and they're not just going by, do you remember this thing? And there's a real timelessness, yeah. I think, too, to the the burlesque concept as well mm-hmm. that, that makes this work in 96 or 2018. 
Yeah. And I think it is, you know, to, to lean so much on references is, is a crutch that I had to get over when I started writing because it's like, oh, this thing is funny and I think it's funny. And if I include it, the people who read it will think it's funny. But, you know, you sort of realize, well, that's no reflection on my ability whatsoever. I'm literally just like paying it forward, like moving the piece across the board. So I think that there are definitely places for it. And there are some great ones in here. But I, I do appreciate the earlier Simpsons has a lot of things that just, yeah, they're just funny because they're funny. Well, this is a funny ending here. I This is a really cute little close to the episode, I think. Thanks a lot, Marge. That was our only burlesque house. <laughs> I do love it when you drop by, Marge. Next time, why don't we get together at your house? I'm so sorry. How can we ever make this up to you? Oh, there's a way, Mom. So, Twiggy, I hear you and your husband, Woody, just had a baby. What did you name him? Chip. Take it off! All right, Dad, you've been warned. Let's go. Hey. Come on. <laughs> so I love it. I love that it didn't end up with Marge having to, like, be a burlesque dancer. Uh -huh. I, I like the left turn on that. It's great. That was great. They gave her a puppet version of herself, too. It's a cute yeah. puppet. Yeah. Who it's, made that? His name's Twiggy. I like that name. <laughs> Twiggy is cute to give. You know, a raunchier show, a lesser show, a show called Family Guy might have might have <laughs> just made Marge a, a a dancer there and a performer, which, you know, there's jokes to be made with that. But that also feels like a kind of like married with children kind of ending would have made her a performer. Yeah, her. yeah, I'm really glad they did what they did. And I love that you know, Homer's the heckler getting kicked out. It's a great, yeah. it's just a great circle. It comes her, around. It's it's very satisfying. Her humiliation is much more fun this way. Yes, yeah. yeah. And and it's cute that I feel like when Homer's saying take it off, he means just like, take the puppet off of your hand. Take mm. that puppet off. <laughs> I just assume he wants Marge to get naked. Uh, yeah, I, mean, yes, I yeah. think I think it's more of that element. <laughs> and, uh, and also, though, I like that Bart doesn't cotton to that kind of harassment at the club. Nope. He's kicking Homer no. out of He gets there. the bums Rush. He does. <laughs> you got to treat the dancers as well. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so what a great episode. And then it goes out on a instrumental version of Spring in Springfield, which it just shows how great the instrumentality of it is, even beneath the lyrics. And we heard that a lot at Universal Studios. Yeah, that played yeah. a lot in the speakers there in Springfield. It's They have a very particular set of music. The, a very fun fact is that the Harry Potter area of the theme park only plays the soundtrack, I think, from Prisoner of Azkaban. Ah. Um, so you will pretty much only hear those songs. It is one of the better soundtracks. Oh, so. I, so this is, uh, for almost no one listening, but I went to the One Piece amusement park in Tokyo Tower and, uh, <laughs> on one floor, which is where most of the stuff is, one song plays, oh. only one song and it plays forever. Oh. And the employees well, if you, must. If you go to the Minions area of the Universal Park, I'm pretty sure they only play Happy uh, oh. over and over and over. I would over lose again. it. That's like ironic punishment. <laughs> or some other, like three other Pharrell songs, and then that again. It's not great. <laughs> Kate, uh, wrapping up, like, uh, what's your final thoughts on uh, Bart After Dark? I definitely think this is one of my favorites. I had, you know, it was fun to go back and look at the season when you sort of sent me a list of the episodes and remember because when you, you know, grow up with something on syndication, it's just sort of part of your DNA. Eventually, it's the thing you watched when you got home from school every day. And that's what The <laughs> Simpsons was for me for so long. It was on at five o'clock 
you know, watch it before dinner. Yeah, I just I just really like it. I like the episodes like this that are sort of centered around these these different characters. I don't know. It's just it's a good one. I don't have I don't have much more <laughs> elaborate things to say. I think everyone should watch Festival Whorehouse in Texas. Ooh. And this episode, you know, you mentioned the syndication version. Actually, were were there any jokes in this one that you hadn't seen before because you'd seen it in syndication, and they sometimes cut stuff out for that? No, because strangely enough, I don't think they were as edited in Canada. Ah, there's weird things that were like watching the dub of Sailor Moon, <laughs> um, that was you know crazily edited, but. I don't think this The Simpsons was necessarily. I mean, there might be stuff that I have no idea about, but there wasn't anything here that I was like, oh, I don't remember that. They're leaving money on the table in Canada. <laughs> gotta sell ads. <laughs> I want to put in uh, more commercials. As for me, I thought, uh, I like this episode a lot, but uh, Act 3 is the real fireworks factory because it has yeah. all the best jokes. The town hall scene is so good mm-hmm. and it has the song. So I'm just sort of waiting for it to get there. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why. Yeah, I did. I did write down a thing in my notes because um, Cohen said it while we were watching and he was like, let me get a check and we paused it and he was like all right five minutes 26 seconds and the plot is finally starting uh, it's a short act three but there's so much crammed in there and again emmy award-winning song for a reason i think it's the best simpson song uh argue with me if you disagree online <laughs> in this so this episode 22 years ago i think way ahead of its time on sex positivity mm-hmm. and like yeah and- i think that's a really big part of it for me too because i'm a very sex positive person i think people should be able to do whatever they want for a living and and legally and not be persecuted for it and uh i think it's really strange that the simpsons which you know a lot of stuff from it has not aged super well i mean even a poop popping up in this episode with this vishnu joke i was like oh god um mm-hmm. this is weird now but uh that is is strangely forward thinking so kate before you sure. go can you talk about where we can find you how we can help you uh what, what what you've done that we can look at right now well yeah um so if you are into comics you can find uh spell on wheels volume one is out from dark horse it came out last summer i am currently chipping away at volume two which will probably be coming start to come out later this year and next year they haven't fully announced it yet but whatever (laughs) and uh hellcat has three volumes that's really fun next week is the first of the mysticon graphic novels that i wrote that's coming out mysticons is a show that's airing on nick in america and wide tv in canada i think it's a nelvana production Ah, it's hmm. magical girls um but with a very heavy D &D bent to it it's really fun cool and yeah, so uh, the first one of those, I think, comes out August 15th. If you live in or around New York, I'm going to be at FlameCon, which is a gay Comic-Con in Times Square. It's going to be really awesome. I, this is my third year going, and it is always the best convention of the year. So that is the weekend of August 18th. And then uh, keep an eye on my Twitter around September 1st. (laughs) There might be some information coming out September 1st or 2nd. And yeah, I'll be at SPX in Maryland in September, but not officially. I'm just wandering around. And but I will have my Simbo Friends zine. I'm putting it together. Oh, awesome. I I want one. I'm going to sell it online but not in great quantities because i don't want to get sued (laughs) Uh, what we're doing is highly illegal (laughs) yeah we get away with it (laughs) it's fine um but yeah you can find all of my stuff uh at kateleth.com and if that is not updated well enough i'm just kateleth on twitter kateleth on instagram 
Well, thank you so much, Kate, for your time and doing this. Yeah, thanks for joining oh, thank us. Thank you. This is great. It is it is a very fun episode. Oh, also, if you like listening to me talk, I do bi-weekly fashion updates for the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, which is an episode-by-episode episode podcast breakdown fun time about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh. So, uh, And I'm also full episode guest at least once a season. So, yeah. Thank you again to Kate for being a, our very special guest on this episode. And check out all of her stuff. She's got a lot of stuff. My goodness, I thought we had a yeah. lot of stuff. She's got a ton of stuff. It's amazing yeah. how much stuff she's got going on. And her work is great, like her comics, especially, you know, I'm an old school Marvel fan. So Hellcat, or it's Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat, that she did with Brittany Williams. Such a fun comic, such a, like, probably the queerest comic Marvel's ever done. It they The Brittany and Kate did an amazing job in that. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for listening, folks. This has been Talking Simpsons. I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey, and we are supported by Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com, com slash talking simpsons you can find out how to help the show at the five dollar level we have so much bonus content going on there like exclusive series like talking futurama and talking critic exclusive interviews with so many simpsons writers and directors and artists and also our monthly community podcast season wrap-ups deleted scenes specials there's so much going on there at the five dollar level and if you sign up now there's going to be so many podcasts you've never heard before and it's so easy to listen to all of them on your podcast device of choosing henry what are two of the most recent things we've done that people should check out on the patreon that we're both super excited about well there is a new interview going up at the end of this week that i don't want to spoil for listeners but it's a really really good one folks should definitely listen to that one with a simpsons writer who doesn't give a lot of interviews and we learned a lot of really cool stuff it's a big exclusive <laughs> and you should also listen to our disenchantment review which was also on the free feed of what a cartoon but if you want to know before it comes out if the new netflix series from matt Groening and josh weinstein and bill locally is any good me and bob we really enjoyed it and if you'd like to hear more specifics on why we enjoyed it listen to that yeah that's actually part of our what a cartoon podcast where we cover a different cartoon from a different series every week and if you want to jump over to the what a cartoon podcast to check out that uh disenchantment review you can also subscribe to it and hear even more of us talk about cartoons and we know you like that you have to you're listening this far into our plug section (laughs) you have you have some attachment to us am i right so yes again that is patreon.com Slash Talking Simpsons. As for me, I'm Bob. You all know that. And my other podcast is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast. I've been doing that since, uh, well, it's been going on since 2006. I've been doing it since 2011. So if you go to Retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine, you can find, I don't know, 400 episodes. We've done so many. Just find a topic that interests you and then download the episode. And if you like it, subscribe or give us money. I get money from that too. It's crazy. The internet's nuts. Henry. I am H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. You can follow me there for updates on this Patreon and all the cool stuff that we do. I'm Talking Simpsons and What a Cartoon. And you can find my uh, hot, my spicy thoughts on political things as well. So follow me, H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next week for a Millhouse Divided. Millhouse Divided.